Good morning, church. It's a joy to to be with you this morning. It's a joy to share the scriptures and to uh, to spend time worshiping God together this morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter eighteen. Now, please turn to Luke chapter eighteen. And we are going to look at verse 9 to verse 14. Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is a familiar parable that our Lord uses to teach about the gospel, to teach about how God saves sinners, to teach about how man can be reconciled with God. And the title of my sermon this morning is, How Can Man Be Justified? How can man be justified? This is the question of questions. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to be wrong. We cannot afford to get this question wrong. To be wrong on this question is to be wrong on everything else. Because nothing else matters. Eternity hangs upon this question. Your life and my life hang upon this question. How can the guilty be forgiven? How can the guilty be forgiven? Brothers, this passage shows us the heart of Jesus for sinners. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10, it states the mission of Jesus very clearly and concisely. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, brothers and sisters, from the early parts of Luke, Jesus is making it plain how salvation works. But this this other group of religious leaders called the Pharisees, they, they have this misunderstanding of how salvation works. They, they think salvation happens by doing works. The Pharisees have this wrong perspective that their works are sufficient to commend them before God. They think they can impress God with their good works. They think they can earn their way into the favor of God. I just want to show you a few exhibits here, how Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, and he is trying to to teach them. He is enlightening them. He is giving them knowledge about how salvation works. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27, it says this, After Jesus went out, and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Jesus said, follow me. 
And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to the sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, brothers, in this exhibit, who is complaining? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What are they complaining about? That Jesus eats and drinks with sinners and tax collectors. And how does, how does Jesus respond to them? He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And as Jesus continues to teach people, as Jesus proceeds with his public ministry, these Pharisees are continuing to misunderstand him. They are continuing to trust in their own works for salvation. They are continuing to believe in this false idea of salvation of works, salvation of human accomplishment. In Luke chapter 15, exhibit B, it, it tells us this, verse 1 and 2. Now the text collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Who is complaining? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What are they complaining about? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And how does Jesus respond to them? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. You see, the point of these parables is that God rejoices when sinners repent, when sinners turn away from their sin, trust in God for salvation. It seems like the Pharisees have blocked ears. Look, Luke 16 verse 15, Jesus draws them in and he warns them. He says, you Pharisees, are the ones who justify yourselves before the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's eyes. You see, in these three exhibits, we see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. They have this misunderstanding of how salvation works. They think that what they have done and what they have accomplished is enough to commend them before God. And Jesus now wants to put this matter to rest. In our passage, in Luke chapter 18, in this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus puts this matter to a close. Jesus sets the record straight. Class is in session. Jesus, the master, ascends the podium. The Pharisees sit and learn from the master. Here's the big question. How can man be justified. Luke tells us of the bed, what the point of this parable is. If you look at verse 9, it says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone, Jesus told this parable. So this is the point of this parable. Jesus is telling this parable to those who are confident in their own righteousness and they looked down on others. And Jesus says, Come to class. Class is in session. And Jesus gives this lesson by pointing our attention to two men, 
two prayers and one verdict. And that's the outline of my sermon. Two men, two prayers, and one verdict. Now, two men. Look there, Luke 18, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Brothers and sisters, for us to get the shocking contrast of these two men, we need to observe history. We need to look at what history records for us about these two men. We need to ask who were the Pharisees and who were the tax collectors. In, in 168 BC, history records for us there that a ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes conquered Israel. So this man, we can call him Big Ant. Big Ant conquered Israel and he used his full political force to destroy the Jewishness of the Jewish people. This was his goal. Big Ant imposed new harsh taxations on Jewish people. An official law was made to abolish all Jewish customs, to abolish all Jewish traditions, all Jewish ceremonies. The Sabbath was forbidden. Jewish festivals were forbidden. Circumcision was not allowed. The Torah scrolls were confiscated and banned. Sacrifices and offerings in the temple was forbidden. Anyone who did not follow these rules was killed. This man marched into Jerusalem and he entered into the temple. He erected an idol on the altar and he sacrificed a pig. He slaughtered a pig there, desecrating the temple of Jewish worshippers. The goal of this man was to remove all Jewishness from the face of the earth. The aim was to use brute force to create a new people with Greek customs, with Greek traditions, with a Greek religion and with a Greek identity. It was in this context that you see these two groups of men emerging, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. Now the Pharisees were this other group that said, no, we will not stand for this. You see, the term Pharisee means to separate. The Pharisees rejected the Greek system. They remained firm on Jewish standards. They followed the Torah no matter the cost. They put their lives on the line because of this. They resisted Roman oppression. And most of them paid with their lives for this. These are the Pharisees, the heroes of the people. They resist us. Now let's look at the tax collectors. The tax collectors were on the other side of the spectrum. Now, tax collectors were Jewish men who collected tax from Jews on behalf of the Romans. You see, they were the collaborators. They were relentless. They were cruel. They were aggressive. They were the renegades. They made profit from mistreating their own people, from the misery of their own people. You see, tax collectors used brute force to collect tax. They usually collected more than they needed to. Tax collectors collected almost everything. They collected tax for using the road, for imports and, and exports. They collected tax for animals. They collected tax for clothing. They collected tax for fruit and vegetables. They collected tax for food. They collected tax for oil. 
Tax collectors were the tax mafia. They associated and often used the services of thugs, of gangsters and troublemakers. Tax collectors were considered to be ceremonially unclean. In fact, tax collectors were not allowed to be used in court as witnesses. You see, brothers and sisters, this was a painful and agitating contrast that Jesus makes. When he says, a Pharisee and a tax collector. You see, the Pharisees faithfully defended Israel. Tax collectors colluded with Rome to oppress the Jews. The Pharisees suffered under Rome. The tax collectors triumphed and enriched themselves. The Pharisees remained steadfast to the Jewish tradition. The tax collectors neglected their origins and identity. The Pharisees made an honest living. The tax collectors were thugs and gangsters. The Pharisees protected their own people. The tax collectors oppressed their own people. The Pharisees longed for the return to the biblical truth, to the Jewish tradition, and the tax collectors embraced the spirit of the age. The Pharisees preserved true religion. The tax collectors were thugs. The Pharisees were hard workers, and the tax collectors wanted a quick buck. Can you now sense the shocking nature of this statement? Take a look in your Bible. Luke 18 verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Put yourself in the crowd. I can imagine some listening trying to correct Jesus. Are you, are you trying to say a hero and a traitor? Are you perhaps trying to say a champion and a coward? Are you, are you saying a patriot and a betrayer? Are you saying a man and a dog? Are you saying a saint and a sinner? Can you sense the tension? I'm sure the Pharisees who were there in the crowd listening to Jesus talking, as Jesus was saying, a Pharisee and a tax collector went out into the temple to pray. The Pharisees were probably muttering amongst themselves, what, a tax collector? I wonder, I wonder what he wants to steal in the temple. What good can anyone say about a tax collector, this dirty, sinful, defiled tax collector? Traitor! This is the profile of the two men. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Two men. I'll to get two prayers. Two prayers. From verse 10 to verse 13, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Two different prayers. The verdict, our third point. Luke 18, verse 13 to 14. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. These are the words of Jesus. The tax collector was justified. I can imagine the Pharisees there listening to him saying, What? What? Justified? You see, friends, Jesus tells us that the tax collector went home declared not guilty, accepted by God, welcomed by God, justified. Tim Keller helps us to think about this term, justification. He says, justification is a validating performance record which opens doors. So, justification or righteousness is a validating performance record which opens doors. So, for example, if you want to study and there's a particular course that you want to study and you're in metric, you, you can go to the university's website and get the prospectus, look at the, the qualification, look at how much marks, uh, what marks you need to get to qualify for that course. And so, say this course wants you to have maths, physics and English and you have to pass all these subjects uh, with a grade higher than 80%. And then you, you get those marks and then you apply at the university and they accept you for getting those marks. What was your justification for being accepted? It was that you've obtained the marks. You, you, you've obtained the sufficient requirements to, to be accepted in that course. You see, you, you, your, your performance record has opened doors for you. It is the performance record that opens the doors for you. And you see, the point is, brothers and sisters, with God, your performance record is not enough. With God, your performance record is not sufficient to open the door to access to God. God is perfectly righteous and glorious. We cannot appease Him with our feeble works. Our actions and works can never be enough to meet the infinite standard of God. And salvation is for those who recognize this. That we are much more sinful than we can ever imagine. And God can only accept us based on the performance record of another, of Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled these requirements fully and perfectly. Why was the tax collector justified and the Pharisee not? First, it's because God's standard of holiness is radically different to our standard of holiness. See, God expects total holiness. God does not accept comparative holiness. God does not accept relative holiness. God does not only check the external, but he also checks the internal. He checks motives. He checks our thoughts. According to God, both men are guilty. Romans 9, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Even the best of our good works cannot commend us to God or earn us salvation to God. We see, this is not how the Pharisee was thinking. The Pharisee approached God with a list to prove how worthy he was. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved 
by what Christ has done. Brothers and sisters, my prayer to you this morning is that you would say these words of this hymn. No list of sins I have not done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but in you. This is how you enter Christianity, and this is also how you proceed and grow in the Christian faith. By realizing that all you need to be accepted is in Christ and not yourself. So, the Pharisee was accepted, was justified, because he acknowledged that God's standard of holiness is radically different to our standard of holiness. But that's not only that salvation is for those who admit and acknowledge their sins before God. Look at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the text collector confesses his sinfulness and total dependence on the mercy of God. In Luke 18 verse 13 he says, God be merciful to me a sinner. You see, the Pharisee approached acknowledging not his sin, but his good works. To him, it was his good works that commended him to God. It was what he did that made him acceptable. See, the Pharisee comes to God and he gives a detailed list of the things he does not do. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He says, I'm not an extortioner. I am I, I'm not an unjust person. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm not even like this tax collector. He does not only stop there by listing his, his don't. He also lists the things that he does. In verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see, brothers and sisters, to trust in your own works for salvation is a direct insult on God. Ahim puts it this way, no separation from the world, no work I do, no gift I give can cleanse my conscience, can cleanse my hands. I cannot cause my soul to live, but Jesus died and rose again. The power of death is overthrown. My God is merciful to me and merciful in Christ alone. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My death was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by him and he alone can give me rest. And this is why the text collector was justified and the Pharisee was not. Third, salvation is for those who depend upon God and the work of Jesus for salvation. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The text collector is appealing for mercy. In Galatians 2, it says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
The Apostle Paul says the same thing three times. He says, in case you don't get it, we are justified by faith and not by works of the law. We are not justified by works of the law. We are justified by faith. By works of the law, no one can be justified. In case, you know, someone says, I don't think he was clear. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. That those who depend on him for salvation may find perfect forgiveness and acceptance with God. A salvation earned by good works and moral effort would only favor the more able, the more competent, the more accomplished, the more privileged. But salvation by sheer grace favors the failed. It favors the outsiders. It favors the weak. Because it goes only to those who know that salvation can only be by sheer grace, not effort. If you are an unbeliever here, if you have not come this way, my prayer is that you come this way. There's no other way. Come like the tax collector. Come acknowledging all your sin. Come realizing that there is nothing that you can do. There is no good that you can do to earn your way into the presence of God. There is nothing that you can do within yourself to appease God. Trust in God for your salvation. You are not saved by your own works, but you are saved by the works of Jesus Christ. For believers... Here, what lessons can we draw from this parable? Well, the first one is imitate. Imitate the example of Jesus in how he treats sinners and outcasts. See, Jesus is compassionate to sinners. He's reaching out to tax collectors. He calls Levi in Mark chapter 2. And the Pharisees mock him for, for hanging out with outcasts, for hanging out with sinners. Over and over again, the Pharisees mock him, they mock his disciples, but Jesus Christ will not relent. His heart is for sinners and the salvation of sinners. He's in the business of saving people and not condemning them. And second, have a zeal for good works. Salvation by faith alone in Christ alone is not a license to sin. Titus 2.14, Jesus redeemed us to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Matthew 5.16 Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And here's the third lesson. Stay humble. Look at the last part of Luke. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is knowing God and knowing yourself and responding appropriately. Do not let your good progress in the faith Create pride in your heart. Give you a big head. Realize how close sin is to you and depend upon God to rescue you. How can man be justified? By putting his faith and trust not in his works, but in the works 
of another in the works of Jesus Christ. You see these heroic champions were looking at history and they say, look at us, look at our profile. We are the Pharisees. We are the defender of our people. And their mistake is that they trusted in that. Don't trust in your own works. Trust in the works of Jesus Christ for your justification. Also, don't trust in your good progress in the Christian faith. Continue to remember that it is not what you do that makes you accepted. It is what Christ has done. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would would fully trust in you, that we would not embrace the foolishness of depending on our own works, on our own deeds, on our own progress. May we depend fully on what you have done. Please help us to hear your word clearly, to apply it in our lives, and to reach out to the sinners with this good news, good news for the guilty, that those who are guilty can come to Christ who welcomes them. That those who are guilty don't have to fix themselves. They can come as they are to Christ who has accomplished everything that they need for access to God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we'll, let's sing our last song with the gospel song.